We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. This past week, former police board president Lori Lightfoot got some proof that her candidacy for mayor has gotten Rahm Emanuel's attention. Several aldermen allied with the incumbent mayor attacked her. We'll talk about what they and she have to say and a lot more this week. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. Former federal prosecutor Lori Lightfoot launched her campaign for mayor of Chicago over a week ago, promising that hers would be an administration based on the principles of equity and inclusion. As someone who has headed the Chicago Police Board, the Office of Professional Standards, and was co-chair of Mayor Emanuel's Task Force on Police Accountability, Ms. Lightfoot has some strong feelings about police reform, but she also has ideas about education, economic development, neighborhoods, and the like. She has also helped run the City of Chicago's Procurement Office. She was Chief of Staff for OEMC, and she's a partner with the law firm Mayor Brown. Well, all of her experiences, policies, and plans will be tested in what we expect will be a crowded and probably hard-fought mayoral campaign. She is here with us now, Lori Lightfoot. Welcome back. A pleasure to be with you. Well, likewise, let us start with the campaign headline of the week. Sure. Eight aldermen, all of whom are close to the mayor, issued a news release demanding a review of your police board cases. They said, and I'm quoting here, that they were deeply disturbed to learn that you sought reappointment to the police board while in their view you were preparing for your campaign now you did secure a campaign website name or two they're suggesting the police board cases uh might uh, that were decided on your watch may have been used to advance your political agenda so they want an in- independent review alderman nick spisato even used the word betrayal uh <laughs> so what words do you use in response to this? Well, well since it's radio, I'll be polite. <laughs> but this is this is a total red herring, and this is very clear that Rahm Emanuel and his allies are fearful. They're fearful of the progressive vision and course that I hope to set, uh, not only as part of this campaign and the debate that will follow, but as mayor of the city of Chicago. We have a city in which... We are clearly, profoundly going in the wrong direction. People all across the city are saying it. They're feeling it. I'm hearing it. Even uh, in this last week, I can't tell you the number of people that have come up, not only to thank me for for jumping in and offering support in whatever way they can, but saying, I am glad that somebody is finally going to be taking on the tough issues and the tough challenges. So the folks that are aligned with the mayor uh, are folks that are defenders of the status quo. They are fearful of the kind of change that I will bring to the city. And, and, and so we can expect that they'll be back again in some inner, other incarnation, but this is a complete red herring. And let me, but let me say a couple things about the specifics. <clears throat> when I agreed, because I was asked, to step up and serve on the police board, and frankly the same thing with stepping up and leading the police accountability task force, I didn't sign 
a personal loyalty oath to Rahm Emanuel. What I agreed to do was offer my time and talent and resources in whatever way I could to support the city and to serve with integrity and independence. And that's what I did. Um, I think there's been a follow-up news report that said, oh, we analyzed every case that Lightfoot was involved in. There's no evidence of anything uh, untoward. And, And of course, that's what we'll find. So I welcome them. The, the, the decisions that were rendered during my tenure as police board president are all on the website. I'm happy to print a copy for all of them and bring it uh, to uh, to them so that they can review it. But again, the viewers should not be fooled. This is a total red herring. And and what's most troubling, frankly, you know, I'm tough and I'll, and I'll deal with this, this nonsense. But what's troubling to me is that they are, for a cheap political stunt, they are trying to impugn the integrity of the other eight board members that serve with me. And they're, for a cheap political stunt, they are impugning the integrity of an institution that is truly independent and is also an important pillar of the police accountability and disciplinary system in the city. So it's not just going after Lori Lightfoot. There are bigger, larger issues at stake, and this kind of short-term small-ball vision Um, doesn't think about, and frankly, this is the style of governance, what the ripple effects and the implications are. So I'm going to keep talking about, I think, the issues that are most important to the day-to-day lives of our citizens. I'm going to keep talking about relieving uh, middle and lower income families and individuals from tax burden. That doesn't make any sense. I'm going to be talking about the ways in which we need to really refocus our education policy to invite parents and teachers and principals and other stakeholders to the table at the start of the process and not dictate to them from afar at the end. I'm going to keep talking about uh, the fact that we have got to get a comprehensive plan to deal with the drivers of violence and other issues of importance to our city like affordable housing. One of the aldermen who who did uh, say he was confident in your integrity and, and such still said you know, well, this is the big leagues. Uh, the, the, this is this is what politics are like now, and you know, you just have to get used to it. it should people be used to this kind of thing? No, I think people are sick of it. Frankly, um, we see it coursing all the time uh, in the national political discussion. It's obviously a factor here, but I think, and I hope that we are actually going to elevate the level of the discussion in this debate, that we're not going to be rolling around the muck because people are sick of it. Part of the reason that people want change, part of the reason that people feel like our city is going in the wrong direction is exactly this kind of gamesmanship and political stunts instead of dealing with the real issues. You know, we had a horrible week um, of violence, um, people killed, shootings, and and, and summer hasn't even started. I would love to see a discussion in a debate about those kind of issues that are actually relevant to the day-to-day lives of citizens. And frankly, at any time, not one of those aldermen, not anybody um, on behalf of the mayor that I can recall, came to a single police board meeting, made a single inquiry about what we were doing, even though we would communicate with them about big issues, decisions, and so forth on a fairly regular basis there were, they had so little interest in what was actually happening um, to even participate at any point along the process. So, again, people are going to see this 
for exactly what it is, which is a political stunt by people who are afraid of the status quo and afraid of the progressive vision and course that I intend to take the city on as mayor. Well, let's talk about a case that people did pay a lot of attention to, and that is the uh, the police uh, shooting and killing of Laquan McDonald. Mm-hmm. And what happened with that investigation and the videotape of the incident, you have been highly critical of uh, Mayor Emanuel and his administration for how that was handled. Yes, I mean, I think people all over the city believe that that videotape was suppressed for political gain. And that is exactly why one of the first recommendations of the Police Accountability Task Force that I led was to have a real policy, a real plan in place that requires the disclosure of video, audio, initial police reports no later than 60 days after an incident happens so that people can have confidence that they're going to be able to get information about significant police actions like police-involved shooting. Now, we asked the mayor and his team to go back a year later. So this was we issued this in 16. We asked them to, no later than 17, go back and revisit the policy and see, if, frankly, if we could shorten that 60-day time period. And all we've had since then is total silence. So on issues of police reform and accountability, I am willing to put my record up against Mayor Rahm Emanuel's any day. And I'm happy to do a one-on-one debate with him on that because I think there's a lot to be said there and I'm very confident and comfortable that my record speaks for integrity, independence, and taking on the tough challenges uh, without regard to quote-unquote political success. Now, when all of this was going down, uh, Mayor Emanuel, uh, in the midst of it, made a very impassioned speech. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he created the task force that the, he then asked you to uh, to help lead on police accountability. On those kinds of things, was Mayor Emanuel doing the right thing? Well, look, it, it, it's not just the press release. It's not just the gesture. It's follow-through. So... We presented our findings from the Police Accountability Task Force to Mayor Rahm Emanuel on April 13th in the afternoon of 2016. He never reconvened us. He never asked us specifics about how did you get to this conclusion, how did you get to that conclusion. We offered, because we had subject matter experts both in Chicago and around the country, to who were willing to come on their nickel, roll up their sleeves, and work with the city to try to move forward and implement a number of the recommendations that we've made. Well, it's now, what, uh, (laughs) two years later? Still waiting. So it's not just the the press hit that matters. It's the substance and the integrity and the follow-through. And I made a decision to step into this race for mayor in part so that I could, as the mayor, make sure that both the task force recommendations and the Department of Justice recommendations actually get implemented so that we can strengthen our police department. We can make sure that our officers are properly trained in constitutional policing. We can make sure that they have the tools that they need to be successful and that we can continue to build relationships between the police department and the communities that they are sworn to serve and protect. And how do you build, rebuild that trust that that has been so damaged by the kinds of cases and admittedly that's not all the cases we hear about the big ones but nevertheless uh that trust has been damaged how do you change that well look i think 
I think we have to also have the perspective that for um, people of color and particularly African-Americans, there always has been throughout our history a tenuous relationship between them and police departments. Many of the people in Chicago are families that emigrated from the segregated South with Jim Crow laws, unconstitutional uh, policing, um, extrajudicial um, violence against uh, them and their families, where police officers were put in a position of enforcing an illegitimate system. So when you have that as the history, many people would say it's not about rebuilding, it's about building. But I strongly believe when I think about the kids in the most economically distressed neighborhoods that are also, unfortunately, many times the the most um, violent uh, neighborhoods, for them, we all need to do better. We all need to figure out the path towards reconciliation because if that estrangement and that strain continues, the police are not going to be effective, and the community is not going to be well served. So for me, you have to start with that mindset and those guiding principles, but you have to do the hard work. We've laid a lot of those things out in the context of the task force and the DOJ. It's about the police having legitimacy. It's about the police looking like the neighborhoods that they serve and having a consciousness about the history and the vibrancy of these neighborhoods. It's about recognizing that even residents that live in some of the most stressed and challenged neighborhoods. There's good people everywhere and that abound. I'll give you a perfect example of one thing that I'd love to see happen here in Chicago, and I've been talking about this for a while. In New York City, two weeks out from the time that a a new recruit gets their, their assignment and starts on the beat with a training officer, they go into that community. They are met by community ambassadors during the daylight hours, and that makes a difference, um, so that they understand the fabric of the neighborhood. And then those community members remain a resource for them when they then get their full-time assignment and they're on the beat. It demystifies these neighborhoods. Now, New York is different from Chicago in a lot of different ways, but not the least of which is, unfortunately, we are a much more uh, racially segregated city than New York is. So all the more reason why when we have young officers that may not have met somebody different than them as a peer, uh, and they're meeting for the first time uh, in the academy, we need to do everything that we can to put our implicit and explicit biases on the table and deal with it. And frankly, we need to do a better job of screening for that. But we need to make sure that no matter what their background is, when they put on that uniform and they stand up and say, I am have the honor of being a Chicago police officer, that they are able to police in every neighborhood in the city, no matter who they are and what their experiences are. And we know from best practices across the country that there's a way in which we can do that. But again, it takes the will to dig down deep and make those kinds of big changes. You're listening to WBBM News Radio's At Issue. I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and my guest is former police board president Lori Lightfoot, who is now a candidate for mayor of Chicago. I want to talk a little bit more about police accountability, but then sure. I also want to move on to some other issues. Um, the Fraternal Order of Police uh, is already wary. It was already wary. It's been wary of you for <laughs> you're, some you're, time. You're being very charitable. Uh, I, yeah, and, and I don't think things got necessarily any friendlier with the with their election. And, and back the last time you were here, uh, that election was ahead of us. Now it's be- behind us. But 
how do you build trust between you and them? And and I remember the last time you were here, uh, you said change is coming. They they need to get on the bus so that they're not run over by the bus. Which some cops might see that as more an old ultimatum than an invitation. But uh, well, look, I, I think I think the leadership of every union needs to be a productive partner in the transformation of the police department. Now, obviously, in the first instance, the primary responsibility for building that relationship is with the leaders of the police department itself. But I also know from my conversations with blind police officers who are friends um, and, frankly, from perfect strangers that I encounter um, on a daily basis, that they want and understand that there's a need for change. They want and understand that they need to know what the rules are so that they can conduct themselves accordingly. They are embracing the kind of support and resources that I have been talking about and the task force talked about and the DOJ talked about. For example, um, one of the things that we have recommended with respect to improving basically the quality of life for police officers so that that translates into what how they perform on the street is having a much more robust um, wellness unit. Right now, if we go with the budgeted number. We have about 12,000 uh, sworn police officers. We have only three uh, employee assistance professionals to deal with the myriad of challenges and traumas that those officers face on a day-to-day basis. That makes no sense whatsoever. And we also have to deal with the reality that a lot of officers are fearful that if they go and they seek help, if they go to counseling, that somehow they're going to lose their Floyd card. That's not true. Um, it, there's a lot of steps that you have to go through. But, but we need to have a program in place that is wholesome, that is real, and that responds to the needs of those officers on a daily basis. Again, that's something that I've been talking about for the last two years, and I hope that message gets through to the rank and file because that's not what you hear from the union leadership. But that's okay. The challenge and the opportunity for me is to reach out to individuals to talk about what is real and separate the fact from fiction about my progressive vision for the city. I want to touch on a couple of other public safety issues, uh, but hopefully quickly. Uh, But one, civilian oversight of the police department. Uh, Obviously, that's supposed to be a key of the uh, Civilian Office of Police Accountability, or COPA as it's called. How much power should that panel have? Well, it's two different things, right? COPA is primarily focused on the investigation. That's their core function. They're not doing oversight. Of the police department. Well, now COPA, the, but 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 the recommendation it, is yeah. to stand up a commission, not unlike uh, Los Angeles and the LAPD have been living with for years. Look, people, we have a, a police department that's a two billion dollar plus enterprise that, on a daily basis, Im- profoundly impacts the lives of citizens across our city. People want to have visibility and transparency and a say over how that entity functions and how those precious tax dollars are spent, and I support that. Now, we'll have discussions about what is the right form of that oversight, but that civilian oversight is critically important to the legitimacy of the police department itself. But you're not ready to say 
they should have policy power or hiring power. Well, I, I stood and supported the GAPA proposal, which lays out in specific detail what the oversight responsibility and, and jurisdiction would look like. Now, again, it's a proposal. It hasn't gone through the entirety of the vetting process. I'm confident that there will be some changes, but I support civilian oversight because it's important for citizens to have confidence in the police department. And it that legitimacy is critically important for the police department to be able to be successful in its mission. A couple of other proposals. Mayor, excuse me, Governor uh, Rauner, among other things, is proposing to reinstate the death penalty, at least in the case of people who have killed uh, uh, peace officers. Uh, what's your feeling about that? Well, I'm firmly opposed to the death penalty. And frankly, that issue is settled both as a matter of law and I think as a matter of public policy um, in this in this state. When we think about I serve on the Center of Wrongful Conviction at Northwestern's uh, advisory board. And on a regular basis, we get reports about individuals who have been locked up for decades for crimes that they didn't commit. Now, the death penalty is off the table, but not so long ago, we were seeing exoneration after exoneration for people who had sat on death row for years and years and years for crimes that they didn't commit. Given that history that is still so fresh, um, I don't know how we would even be having this conversation about the death penalty, again, when there are so many other big challenges that we must face, both as a state and as a city and as a region. The death penalty should be off the table. It's settled. I'm opposed to it. Um, And we need to focus on the issues that are actually more important to people's lives. One other bill that's uh, still active down there, it's the uh, so-called carjacking bill Mm -hmm. that would basically make it easier to uh, imprison uh, carjacking suspects if they were found in possession of a stolen vehicle. What's your feeling about that? that? Well, that's that's focused on on juveniles. Mm -hmm. And again, I don't think the answer to these violent crime spikes is to pass even tougher laws, more tougher sentencing. The violence is a symptom of a community in distress. And we need to deal with that issue. Deal with the real drivers of crime. Come up with a comprehensive plan that addresses clearly the void that some of these young people have in their lives that is leading them to engage in this kind of criminal activity. Now, look, if somebody commits a crime, they have to be responsible and accountable for that. But the way in which we deal with that, because particularly with our juveniles who are still young, whose brains are still forming, they're going to come back into the community. And we have to ask ourselves, do we want them to come back into the community better than what they left? Or do we want them to come back in exactly the same circumstances? And I think no matter where you are on the political spectrum, no matter how you approach this issue from a purely fiscal standpoint, from a moral standpoint, or somewhere in between, we have got to get at what is driving this violence and and why our young people are engaged in criminal activity and why, frankly, the older segment, which is really 19 uh, to uh, 29, what's going on there with them and what investments do we need to make on the front end of kids' life to make sure that they have the support and resources that they need to have a vision of themselves that is integrated into a productive, stable 
community. Um, that brings up education, which I want to ta- touch on a little bit, um, because Mayor Emanuel during this campaign will n- undoubtedly tout rising test scores, graduation mm-hmm. rates, city colleges are, have, have undisputably uh, improved uh, their status. Well, not, which, a, not according to their Inspector General's 100-plus well, page report. <laughs> But they, they, but they're, they've changed with special programming into things like IT and healthcare and hospitality. So yes, talk about that. What's not to like about what's going on with education, either higher or K through twelve? Well, look, I think the big difference between my um, thoughts and vision about public education starts with how do we engage parents and teachers and principals on the front end a policy discussions and not on the back end with dictates. We've seen example after example, whether it was the 50 school closing, whether it was the decision to close Inglewood, the decision to close um, NTA, uh, what's happened this just this week with the fact that the State Board of Elections has been compelled to impose a consent decree and a monitor on CPS because of the terrible way in which they manage um, special ed programming and way they treated those students and teachers. That's a, that says something about a certain style of leadership. My style of leadership is to be engaged respectfully on the front end with the various stakeholders whose lives are affected by the public education system here in the city of Chicago. And one of the focus that I will have on CPS is really looking at rebuilding our neighborhood schools. Look, there's been some progress that's made, thankfully, but not nearly enough and not enough places. And there are still too many kids who are being left behind. So we have to deal with that reality and not do things on a piecemeal basis, but again, look at a comprehensive way in which we can uplift all students, give all students opportunity. And that is going to be a very big difference. And frankly, I'm not going to award multi-million dollar contracts to vendors who don't live up to the terms of the contract, leave our schools filthy and unsafe, and then at insult to injury, as my mother would say, and award them an even bigger $269 million contract. That's frankly offensive and, unco- and unconscionable. If vendors are not living up to their contractual obligation, you can be sure under a Lightfoot administration, that we will put them on notice, we will give them an opportunity to cure, and then if they don't, as is what's happened with this Aramark contract, they will be out. They will be out. And they will pay us back for the time and resources that are wasted. But I'm not going to stand for and tolerate vendors taking advantage of precious tax dollars and not delivering on the services that they said that they would um, agree to. I'm going to ask you a question about a big topic that we only have a little time to answer, and that is you would be the first, uh, the city's first lesbian mayor if elected. Um, Obviously no secret uh, of this. Your wife Mm -hmm. and daughter joined you for the campaign kickoff. Right. How much of an issue should this be in this, in this race? Uh, I mean, what, what should it be a a strong Mm -hmm. issue in this race? Well, look, the fact that I am able to stand before the people of this city with my wife and my daughter and without fear of repercussions because of who I am and who I love 
I think speaks volumes about the progress that we have made as a nation and the progress that we've made as a city. What I think people will be judging me by, and I hope they will, is who is this person? What is her background? What are her values? What is her connection to the everyday challenges and struggles of people all over the city? And I am confident that if they get to know me and I do the hard work of making sure that I am a visible presence everywhere and I talk to them about the progressive vision that I have for the city, but also, frankly, that I listen, I think that they're going to be energized in the way that, frankly, uh, we have found people all over the city to be energized in the one week since we announced our candidacy uh, for the mayor of the city. I'm excited at the opportunity. And unfortunately, we have to wrap it up right there. We could go an hour with the things we have to talk about, so you'll be back. Uh, (laughs) I would like to thank mayoral candidate Lori Lightfoot for spending this time with us. To our listeners, if you would like to have a copy of this program or just to hear it again, please visit our website. That is WBBMNewsRadio.com. Just follow the audio links. You can also find our podcast on Radio.com. I'll be back next week with another edition of Ad Issue, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com.